Uh, I'd like to welcome to the show uh, uh, a voice who uh, I have recently uh, become aware of. Uh, he is a writer, a musician, and a uh, rock on tour. Would that be fair to call you a rock on tour, Gabriel? Anyway, Gabriel Hart. Sure. <laughs> yeah, why not? Cool. All right, so Gabriel's joining me today for a very specific purpose. If you've been following uh, the website, uh, he reached out to me, or if you've been following us on Twitter, he reached out to me about three or four weeks ago, and was because I had re- I had I'd done one of those things where you know you're like, hey, you know, you know, crowdsourcing ideas, and Gabriel sent me this clip of an actress, uh, a French actress, Isabelle Adjani who I am familiar with through other movies, just not this one, of her having this wild, trash-eating freak-out <laughs> in a subway. And I was like, I got to give me more of this. And so I started looking more into it, and then I reached out to Gabriel and was like, hey, Gabriel, you got 1,500 words? I could I, I could definitely help you know, shine more light on this. And so that's how our uh, relationship kind of began. Yeah, I was. it was such a thrill to be asked to do that. It's my favorite movie, and... I had been, yeah, almost waiting for an opportunity to write, you know, an essay about it. You know, it was really easy for me to do, and just, just, um, it all came very. Oh naturally. yeah, you definitely have a very, a very specific take on the movie. Uh, do you want to uh, talk about how you fell into discovering this movie? Yeah, I, so I saw it at the Egyptian Theater in, in Los Angeles, which is kind of the premier art house down there. Um, on Hollywood Boulevard. And I think it was just the timing. It was like very kind of divine timing. I had just gotten, um, I had just gotten cheated on by a woman 10 years, my junior. I was sort of going through the, the process of it. And I had no idea what I was going into when I, um, when I was walking in, everyone was just saying like, you've got to see this movie, especially right now. And I, yeah, it was just a completely cathartic experience. It was such, the movie is so over the top, but so, um, so tastefully done and and very inherently artistic that yeah i just felt like um like i mentioned in the essay i walked out of that theater like you know a, a movie's really great when you when you when you're done with it and you feel like something just happened to you you know not like you you witnessed it but you you um you went through something and so that's that's exactly the, the effect the movie had on well you. coming you know judging I, I you know like i've told you i i ordered a copy of it that was supposed to arrive last week but because of you know the covid and everything everything's getting pushed mm-hmm. back and so then i got an, an email from the seller saying we're not going to get it to you until monday so i have yet to actually watch the full thing i can only imagine what sitting in the theater and seeing this unfold on a big screen is going to be like yeah it's and it's um it's great that you you know iconoclast which is you know obviously a whole literary site is covering this because you know zulowski they call him like an auteur director and like not to insult anyone's intelligence but i think people use the word auteur a lot um in sort of wrong scenarios but yeah an auteur you know it's obviously a french term it's it actually applies strictly to filmmakers like it's a filmmaker whose personal influence and artistic control over the movie is so great that the filmmaker is actually regarded as the author. Gabriel, whenever you say that, I always, I have a problem with the term auteur, especially when it's used for uh, Americanism, you know, like Tarantino's an auteur and all these other, sure, uh, sure. you know, some people even say that Ridley Scott is an auteur. Uh, they're an auteur in the sense that their hands are on the script, you know, and, and they build right, it from right. there because it takes an army of people to create a film. 
Absolutely. And I think the difference between an author and a, and a filmmaker is that, you know, an author, that's truly like a, a solo mission, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. At least until it gets to the, to the publisher and the editor. Whereas a filmmaker relies on, yeah, like you said, a small army to complete the project. And it's, it could be a very sort of slippery slope because the director basically has to play God in order to keep their vision intact. Mm -hmm. And I think it's not, it's not rare that a director will have to, a filmmaker will have to manipulate the actors and push them to their, you know, very limits of human endurance to get what they want. So it could be, it could be a little, also a little sketchy too. Like if you see, once you watch possession, you could see real agony on these, these actors faces. Mm -hmm. And I think the details are really scarce with, with the incident. But, um, I mentioned in the essay that after Johnny saw the, um, saw the initial screening at, um, at the Cannes Festival, she, there was, she like either feigned suicide or, or there was a suicide attempt at, in the, in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm glad and you brought think, that up because, because yeah. the director's reaction to, to learning about that, go ahead. Oh no. And, and it's, um, but once you see, for example, the subway scene, which, which I sent to you, you could see, you could imagine the shock of you being that actress and being that, um, going through that much of a dis dissociation and, and just being like, almost to be like, that's not even me. Like almost to imply that you blacked out. For that, well, for I that mean, watching it, I, it's, it's almost like you're witnessing somebody have an out of body experience because the Absolutely. choices, the choices that she's making as an actress are so not in the realm of any kind of established acting method. I mean, it's what I would imagine, uh, you know, an Adam Sandler, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like, you know, he's sitting behind, he's sitting with his writers and they're coming up with this thing. And they're like, well, let's have her eat trash. Right. And they're like, ha 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 ha. But then to actually see it unfold, you know, you're like, what is going on? Yeah. Yeah. It's so just so inspired and very interpretive too. You know, just the, um, who knows what Zulowski was, was even directing at that point. I think, yeah, I think by that time that's, the, the subway scene is the real calling card for the whole shamanistic method that he that he kind of mm -hmm. est established. And I'm really glad you brought up the whole Nicolas Cage connection because he he calls his his acting technique um, nouveau shamanic. And I yeah. think um, let's, yeah, let's, God, that let's, one scene in Mandy. Yeah, I was about to bring he, it up. <laughs> yeah, that's, I think that's a perfect example of that. It's just it's complete. Um, you know, it's like this whirling dervish kind of. Um, instinct on acting where where words will, would otherwise fail you know? well you know having studied acting in, in a previous life uh it's all about you want the audience to believe that what you're doing is real and in and especially the nick cage moment in mandy when he's in the bathroom and uh, among among others right <laughs> yeah. but that whenever you said the moment I, that I immediately thought of him in the bathroom with the vodka you know just... oh it's like such a such a great return to form that was such a satisfying scene. I was like, is he going to eat a cockroach next? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was ready for anything. I, I'm, uh, uh, I'm going to have to have an episode about Mandy because that movie, that movie touched my heart in the way that I haven't, I haven't felt about a movie in a oh, long, same time, yeah, it was, long time. It was, a, it was a triumphant flick. I, yeah, it was a great, great date movie. <laughs> I tried to watch, I, I watched it and then I tried to watch it with my wife and two minutes in my wife's like, I'm not watching this. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, it it had it had a real polarizing effect on people, which I you know most things I love do have a polarizing effect on people. So well, you know they're 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 out there. Uh, but anyway, so um, uh, the director and when he heard about Isabel Adjani's you know that she'd run off to the bathroom. His his response to it was like, "It's very French of her to do that." Yeah, and he's so yeah. Zulowski's one of these directors that he's almost um, he's hard to pin because he's almost created his own character out of himself. Mm-hmm. You know, almost almost in the same way you can say like um, James Elroy has done that with himself. It's like you don't. The, um, you know, shave the head, put on know, the bow tie. I, don't know, I got you. Yeah, you don't know if it, what if the these outrageous things he's saying is is really how he feels, or if he's just trying to, um, you know, ruffle <laughs> ruffle people's feathers or whatever. But what I what I actually forgot to put in the essay, I think is is testimony to to this point is that um, you know the the movie is a is a you know sci-fi horror mashup and. <laughs> Zulowski claims it's a it's it's a documentary <laughs> about about his own divorce. So I just thought I thought that that was just the greatest uh, the greatest cherry on top when I was doing my research. It, it, but but it's not like a documentary in the sense that Last Tango in Paris is documenting you know, <laughs> somebody's broken heart the way right, the way right. this is. This is this goes a little. I mean, this goes a little bit beyond the butter. Yeah, and I it's weird. As funny as that was to to learn, I I get it. Like I think what's so cool about a director like Zulowski is he, um, when trying to communicate emotions, you know, there's we only have so many words to do that. So so you have to you have to create you have to paint these very over the top um, pictures in order to get, get to just to get emotion across. And mm-hmm. sometimes those pictures end up being of you know a Lovecraftian. Um, you know, creature that that the um, the, the one of the main characters is is having an affair with. So it's <laughs> it's um. I can't I, wait for I, this movie to show to up. Understand, and I think, yeah, like when I was thinking about it this week, I, when I when I was writing my own book, is when I saw the movie. I I think is when I was in the middle of writing my twin novellas, and I think I think I kind of it was a big influence on the way I was writing as far as um, something starting out nonfiction. And again, there are only being so many words. So, so you have to create these very over the top, you know, kind of phantasmagorical scenarios in order um, to get the point across. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking about limited words, I think that's what James Patterson does too. Oh yeah. <laughs> he uses, his, uses a limited palette of words to create yeah, these. I could... uh. We're gonna have we're gonna have a twist every three pages. <laughs> Your grandma's gonna love it. So let's talk about let's talk about uh, p- possession. So so as far as plot goes, I mean we've I, we've already established that this is a bonkers movie coming at the audience from a very strange place. So let's just let's just break down the plot for our listeners. We'll, we'll just yeah. So let's see. So the movie stars Sam Neill, so who we know from Event Horizon, Jurassic Park, and um, Mouth of Madness, and um. Absolutely. Like we said, Isabel Ajani, who's in the tenant subway in Nosferatu, among others. Um, so they're they're a husband and wife, and they're they're getting. She's demanding a divorce, and he's completely heartbroken about it. And the movie um, opens with them their the initial severing, and they have a they have a child, this little kid named Bob, and that adds this whole poignancy to the to the breakup and everything. And um, he 
he feels like something's not quite right that she's um maybe there might be another man or something and he and then she kind of she disappears and he does he does some of his own detective work and he finds a love letter from this this other guy who's this kind of um kind of new age yuppie guy and he goes to his house and basically does a almost like a home invasion on him and he kind of he subordinates him and says like oh i i was sleeping with her but i thought she got back with you so now they're both now they're both looking for her and what um they finally it turns out that it's not it's not another man that she's sleeping with it's it's something else and i'll leave that to um i don't want to give that away but it's it's one of the most outrageous things you could ever see and it's almost it's yeah it's, it's the, the big, reveal it's right the, the reveal. reveal of the story um, like i said in the essay yeah anyone any fan of a uh, lovecraftian horror will totally rejoice with the whole thing and and then they and she kind of doubles down with with the whole affair is as outrageous as it is she, she really kind of commits to it and almost um to the point where they they develop a um a little shop of horrors um relationship it's sort of like a a, a, a bonnie and clyde like she kind of lures people into into the lair yeah right, kind of like hellraiser <laughs> but yeah just um so it's it's about that whole journey and and all the um all the weird interpretive kind of ways it branches off and um but yeah, the ending. So it goes. It goes through this whole phantasmagorical kind of sci-fi horror thing. Um, and I guess it's got a detective element. Like he hires a private, private investigator at one point. And then there's a weird. There's a weird kind of like spy. Mm-hmm. Like I think he's supposed to work for like a spy agency, which which is never fully explained. But um, but then the ending is just so, the end, ending ends up being a very hard-boiled kind of climax where it's a it's a shootout between between um mark and anna and it's just it's such a yeah it's such a heart stopper mm. well you know i've recently uh, i recently appeared on uh the bazong podcast uh with uh, mr frank and and oh, that's yeah, a bizarro that podcast great. and you know oh thank you and and but but it it, it what you're telling me just sounds like something straight out of like a bizarro oh, yeah. noir where you know anything and everything is right. is up for grabs, but you know, I, I come from a place where you got to establish rules in the first right. twenty pages, right? And then and then you you wind the story up like a top, and after that, in the first twenty pages, and then the rest of the story or whatever it is, you just goes goes loose, you know. So in Bizarro, is there anything at the beginning of the movie that would hint about? Um, what's God, coming? I like I said in the essay, I think just the soundtrack. Because it, because uh, you know the the okay. the first twenty minutes, it just seems like a really intense drama about a divorce. But the but it's got just this unmistakable mm-hmm. soundtrack um, that sounds like yeah, like like almost like a weird kind of sci-fi Hitch, Hitchcockian kind of kind of thing. Um, it really lends to the whole dread that something something really otherworldly is gonna is gonna happen. But um, yeah, I don't think it goes really off starts going really off the rails until the cafe scene where um she basically tells him off and then he he overturns like every <laughs> every table and chair in the whole place i can't <laughs> um and then yeah now then she comes back as a secondary character right I, I, 
there's a clip I saw where, where oh, suddenly yeah, she's not, wearing a yeah. red wig or something, so or she's strange. wearing a red dress and she's refusing to take her coat off at a dinner party. Yeah, it's so strange and it's super um, pre-Lynchian too. Like David Lynch does this stuff all the time with his characters. But yeah, he, you know, he's he's searching for for Anna through the whole through um through Berlin and he he meet, he finally meets his little boy Bob's um, teacher and it's it's her <laughs> it's her it's just her with with a wig and and really beautiful contacts and and he's all like Anna he's and he's all like what are you talking about and I'm not Anna so and I I loved it was it um at first it almost seems like a cheap kind of lazy move like what you didn't you couldn't afford another actress or something but there's really I got what he was trying to do at that point because if you've ever been in the throes of obsession or being really, really in love with someone, you end up kind of seeing them in, in all sorts of, um, you end up just kind of seeing them in your periphery. Like you, you will mistake other, other people for them sometimes, you know, even if it's just momentarily. So I feel like, I feel like that kind of added to the whole mounting obsession, um, aspect of the movie, like, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was just the, the look of shock on his face was just priceless. Well, everything I've read about it has has just made me want to see it more. The only the only thing that I would I would say that that I've read that says you know this movie sucks is that the pace is slow. What can you say? What can you tell say about that? Yeah, it I yeah, it's a commitment. It's one of those you know, <laughs> commitment uh, destination movies, I guess you could say. Yeah, I've, I've turned I've turned a lot of people onto it, and I've turned a lot of people off of it just because they it does seem so disjointed. Mm-hmm. And stuff but yeah i mean god sometimes life i just feel like sometimes real life is non-linear in that respect you know and life to me life you know especially when you when you think of um memories like memories just can memory there's nothing lin- like linear about memory it's, mm-hmm. it's all disjointed so i think it's to me it's a very accurate um depiction of of heartbreak in that respect and, mm-hmm. and especially like the you know kind of suppressing of emotion and then emotion exploding when you least expect it. I think it's, but yeah, it's, it, to, to some, it's definitely an endurance piece. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he's, he's from Poland, right? And that's, that's uh, Jerzy Grakowski was a, uh, I believe I'm saying that name, right? It was a theater director from Poland and uh, he was a big into um, Antoine Artaud's theater of cruelty. And oh, so- I'm a huge, huge Artaud fan. Yeah. That's so, yeah, definitely. And that's a that's a new name to me. I, what, what's his name again? Uh, Jerzy Grotowski, I think. I think I'm saying that right. But but he was a Polish director. And when I was watching that scene in the subway, I mean, that's what it reminded me of. It reminded me of a a theater of cruelty, you know, Marat sod kind of moment where we're going to we're going to roll camera and this actress is going to act, and she's yeah. going to act out and she's going to basically. Um, you know, sometimes theater actors, old, you know, old pros who, who, you know, dot the regional theater scene will talk about uh, having moments of transcendence on stage. Right, right. Exactly. And, and that, that moment with Isabella Johnny in the subway when she's going through the trash can, I was just like, my goodness, this is, this is full tilt boogie. She is not holding anything back. She is letting right. it rip. And I think there's something... I think what's so shocking about the scene is that, you know, I think we're used to watching um, violence in cinema where it's, where it's a perpetrator against a victim, but a Johnny in that scene, she's like violence personified. Mm -hmm. 
You know what I mean? I think that's what's so that's what's so impressive and and shocking about the. You know, there's also there's the also a quality of like you know if you've ever been to subway uh, to New York City and you step out of the subway and you see those people <laughs> just at the. Oh yeah. You know, th- yeah there's sure. that there's that that like, oh, I don't need to buy a ticket to a Broadway show. I can just watch this heroin addict <laughs> wearing a tinfoil yeah, hat yeah. trying to stand stand up. You know, I mean it's it's like there's that quality to it where where you don't want to look, but you can't help it. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's like dreams are like that too. Like you you've had dreams where it's like you you get this whole panoramic view of what's going on and it's such a wide scope that you can't look away from yes. it and i feel like that's sort of what happens when you see a you know crazy homeless person or you know a scene like this it's like your your eyes get so wide that it just creates this huge um this huge <laughs> kind of wide lens that you can't look away right from, and no it's matter, something no and it's something do. completely and totally unexpected i mean i couldn't believe that i hadn't you know i'm, I'm a huge movie fan and you know, I've read, I've read, you know, a lot, of, a lot of theater pieces, and I just couldn't believe that I had never heard of this this director or this movie before, and that's what really turned me onto the whole thing. Um, yeah, it took me a while. To, yeah, I was a late bloomer. Right, I, you know, but that's just kind of, you know, this is one of those things. I mean, I could not find it anywhere. I had to, I had to buy it off of eBay. I hope the disc comes and it's workable. You know, I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm gonna, you know, get to see it. I, you had you had mentioned that it was playing somewhere, and uh, I couldn't I couldn't make it to the thing in in time to to watch it. But um, I'm I'm super excited, and I highly recommend everybody out there go and sh- to iconoclash.com and check out Gabriel's essay because if if, if this talk has turned you on at all, uh, the essay will will seal the deal, and you will be hunting the movie just like I did because it is I can't wait I can't wait let's uh, let's talk about your uh, your uh, own career here for a little bit yeah so yeah like I was saying I think I think around the time I saw possession I was I was working on my twin novellas and I'm I'm uh, in LA I'm actually more more known as a musician I was kind of duking it out there I have a band called jail weddings that's LA based that's a great name for a band oh, I appreciate that but um, I think at the time, when did I start writing this? I think 2008. I was um, I was feeling a little confined in that in that role, and I I was kind of you know going to shows and just get just drinking all the time and, and um everything. You just kind of you end up just kind of having the same conversations with people over and over again, and and it's rare that anyone wants to talk about literature or anything like that. And I just had I had so much pent up uh, ideas in me that I just, I'm all like, I'm, I'm going to just start writing and, um, we'll see what happens. And, um, so I started, I had this sort of idea a lot. I had a lot of firsthand experience and then, um, people telling me, you know, I, w- I had a problem blacking out at the time, just kind of like an allergy to alcohol. If you break mm-hmm. it down, but and those, um, those, those do exist. I mean, I have several friends that, that they cannot drink because, it it affects them in that way yeah and it's very that's a very real it's a very real situation yeah but people would um yeah people would describe you know i would black out and people would um, sort of describe to me what they saw they you know like gave you like you threw a guy down the stairs that you know like it was a loaf of bread and all this stuff and it was just like horrifying to hear to hear all this stuff and um so i and you know, people would say like, yeah, it was like you were possessed. You were like disembodied. It was like you're, you're possessed. And I was just thinking like, 
Okay, I'm gonna research. I know enough about my my own firsthand experience. I'm gonna I'm gonna do some like research on mm-hmm. on the correlations between alcoholic blackouts and spirit possession, mm-hmm. as kind of outrageous as it seemed. And I I spent God that whole summer at the L.A. Public Library just going through books and books and books, and the the correlations were just staggering. Mm-hmm. So and I, actually the the um, my novel actually comes with there's a there's 22 in between the novellas there's 22 symptoms that the two that the the two subjects share and it's Mm -hmm. yeah just kind of it's you know it is pseudoscience because i'm not a scientist but i did i did enough research to where it's it's sort of a convincing phenomenon so Mm -hmm. i started writing um the intrusion which is basically based on based on that idea um it was written in first person the book actually got got picked up by initially by a bigger um indie publisher and it but it just kind of stayed there for a while because there was some there was a bunch of drama with the editor it just sort of sat there for a while but i kept on um i kept on writing and i realized oh there's a bigger way larger story to tell here there's a whole backstory Mm -hmm. with with the character and i i think if i'm i'm gonna be a real writer i need to work on fictionalizing this whole thing so i created this character who is who is speaking in first person about these horrific experiences being mm-hmm. being possessed and i um it was funny i started writing i started writing like in earnest a love letter to to my ex-girlfriend mm-hmm. and the next thing i knew it was 100 pages long <laughs> <laughs> and I, and it was it was almost um it was sort of yeah i guess it would be i could compare it to zulowski in the sense where i um there was on, only so many words in English I could I could I could um, use to describe my version of, of the story of what went on between mm-hmm. her and I, and yeah, before I knew it, it ended up being um, Virgins in Reverse, which is the first novella you read in the collection, and it mm-hmm. sort of it gives mm-hmm. gives a backstory to the whole um, to the character in the Intrusion, and you you um, you find out that he's actually possessed by a woman like that's that's the spirit that he's possessed by and during mm-hmm. while i was before i started writing it i i um i learned about this really insane kink of nature um re, um revolving around the emerald wasp and the cockroach and their their um their relationship it's very specific so the emerald wasp wait 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 stop pause hit the pause button <laughs> The emerald wasp and a cockroach. Yeah, so the emerald wasp. Oh, please, please elaborate. So the emerald wa- it's really fascinating. So the emerald wasp is um, is a female wasp, and it's beautiful. It's like translucent green, and just has these really um, beautiful wings and everything. And the the emerald wasp hunts exclusively hunts cockroaches. And what what happens when she finds a cockroach? She'll get on the back of it. She'll sting its brain, and then she'll sting its um, its thorax, and basically kind of tur- she turns it into a zombie a zombie cockroach. She basically um, mm-hmm. demobilizes it, and then she gets, then she'll mount she'll mount the cockroach. It's, it's so fascinating. She'll mount the cockroach and actually use its antennas as a steering wheel. <laughs> This is totally. I, this sounds like bullshit. Like I'm making this up, but that you can look. You can look this up. It's really, really wild. This is fascinating. She'll this use it, yeah, like a left and right steering wheel, and she'll, um, 
enter races, right? Drag races. <laughs> no, and she'll steer the cockroach back to her nest, and then she'll she'll then cover cover the then she'll um she'll actually lay eggs inside the stomach of the cockroach, mm-hmm. and then she'll she'll cover the nest up with with rocks just so no predators will interrupt um, the process. I guess we'll call it. Right. And um. And then next thing you know that right, she's committed a crime and she's trying to hide it, <laughs> hide the hide the proof. Right, right. Yeah, know. there's some the insect police will come get her. <laughs> there's some, some probably yeah, there's some some guilt there, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, then the next you know after a certain amount of time, the cockroach will explode with um, a bunch of baby baby wasps. And I and then they will they will devour it, right? Yeah, I think yeah they'll pro- yeah I think they end up using it as. Um, nourishment in some way you know wasp even if it's not the emerald wasp the whole entire like wasp you know family of animals are vicious little assholes oh yeah yeah uh you know i I live out in the country and so when i first moved back out to the country there were dirt dauber nests everywhere or mud dauber they're basically these little blue black wasps Uh, they look like superman's hair right (laughs) And so, and they're they're floating around. And the thing is, is that they'll buzz you, but they're not. They're 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 completely and totally benign. They don't want to bother humans. Right, right. They will they will sting you if you step on them. Uh, but you can go and mess with their their nest. They don't care. They're just like, oh, we're we'll just rebuild, right? Well, I didn't realize that they were benign. I thought they were just you know asshole wasp like all the other wasps in the world. Well, I went and I I power washed all you know probably fifty. Um, dirt dauber nest Mm -hmm. and then that whole summer i kept finding black widows everywhere and i and 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 i was like man what is the deal why are they and then like and some of them were the size of like my son's hand i mean they were gigantic and they were they were aggressive and i was just being like i i I, I, you know this this is the place i grew up in i've never seen this many black widows and so when i did some research because i was like why is what did I do? What what curse did I bring to bring upon my family to have all these black widows? And it turns out that it turns out that the that the black wasp, the the, the mud dauber, the dirt dauber, that is their prime source of it's, like that's what they do so is they hunt down yeah. they hunt down the black widow and they bring him back to the they bring her back to the nest, they inject her their babies. Yeah, in her, yeah. It's and, an and intrinsic they, they, it's an intrinsic relationship, right? It's Right, and so like, but they, but I, so ever since then, I don't. My wife and I were just like, Mm-mm, no, I'd rather have, I'd rather have mud nest everywhere <laughs> than 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 be walking outside and be like, oh, well, there's there's four of them right there. Right, right. Yeah, I love, and you I know. love just, I love equating human behavior to the way animals and insects work. So once I found out about the whole emerald wasp and cockroach um, kink in nature, I I just thought that that would be the coolest um, analogy for for a young uh, mm-hmm. for a story of a young couple um domesticating like too too early you know what i mean mm-hmm. so that was sort of so in verges in reverse it's there's this this parallel narrative where um the the boy the the boy and the girl the man and the woman um mm-hmm. sort of assume these these sort of spirit totems of, of the cockroach and the, and the emerald wasp Cool, cool. I mean, you could pretty much go anywhere with that. So, so the book, uh, the book, Two Virgins and Intrusion, right? The Intrusion. Yeah, Virgins and It's out by. Intrusion. Right, and it's out by Traveling Shoes Press. Tell me a little bit about yeah, them. Yeah, they're um. So yeah, the the book, just the back a little bit of backstory with the book. It was it ended up being just kind of 
just held hostage by this by this bigger publisher and um luckily and then kind of got unceremoniously dropped at the last last minute but it was such a it was a big kind of lesson for me to to see how that whole world works just the the inherent <laughs> i guess corruption in in the publishing industry um god it was so cool my so one of my heroes is this guy um tab falco he kind of he's he's was a big um supporter of jail weddings and stuff and he's he's great he's like contemporaries with the cramps and he's kind of a legend in his own right he's kind of this twisted um americana like surrealist rockabilly guy from the south um so he kind of came to the rescue and then it was he wanted to put it out on his own um literary imprint and then one thing kind of led to to the other and i was on i was on a podcast kind of talking about the you know what happened in the book and the next thing i knew this publisher that I didn't even know about up here in Joshua Tree got a hold of me and wanted to see the manuscript. Mm. And within a month, they had the cover done. And it was, um, yeah, it was just such a such a blessing to to just kind of fall in the hands of like a nice mom pa indie indie mm. publisher. So yeah, they're um, they were, I I owe a lot to them. Well, you know, mom and pop indie publishers are, are where where it's at. I mean, you, you, it's hard to find their books in corporate bookstores, but I mean, yeah, you know. But but they will treat you right, and they and they will believe in your product. Yeah, I'm definitely getting getting all that from them. And yeah, there's it's you know I'm doing I'm having to do a lot of the footwork myself. But yeah, it's like it feels uh yeah it feels like like maybe I was kind of leapfrogging like a, a new author out of the gates. You know, it feels it feels a lot more appropriate me kind of starting small with a with a mom pa indie indie publisher. Well, my my next question for you, Gabriel, is. Um, why release both novellas as one? Why not release them separately? There was a lot of kind of speculation with that, like what, how we should present it. And I kind of, everything I do, I kind of feel like, you know, I kind of treat it as if it's the last thing I'm ever going to do. You know what I mean? Like I like to, you know, kind of inject a element of urgency to everything. And I'm all like, yeah, who knows? Mm -hmm. Who knows if I'm going to be alive tomorrow? I, I might as well just put these out you know together since and they are related the the characters are are uh, all kind of the same characters in both stories and i i um i always loved the format of uh day of the locusts and miss lonely hearts and mm -hmm. i i just kind of so i kind of used that as a a bit of a blueprint and yeah i just thought it was a, a cool thing that i wasn't seeing happen a lot and i decided to just kind of roll the dice with it cool 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 and gabriel you got some uh, you got some short fiction you got some flash up at shotgun honey this this yeah recently yeah, right a story called church of war um yeah it's kind of a it's kind of a fun <laughs> a fun little little romp with a with a guy um getting the wrong idea what it means to teach a room full of army vets um how yeah. to write <laughs> well which is something that you would have experience with right and didn't you teach uh, veterans yeah it was it was sort of it was sort of a, a fever dream from that whole experience um yeah it was super it was it was a really really kind of humbling experience being in a room full of these these um people that have just literally seen hell on earth and um me mm -hmm. me all of a sudden there you know and I, it turns out you know i wasn't teaching them how to write these these guys knew how to write really well i was just it would be more appropriate to say I was facilitating a writing class for these guys. But yeah, it was just such a great, um, you know, to just get out of my bubble and, and be, and just hear, hear these stories. And a lot of, a lot of these guys didn't, you know, war was actually the last thing on their mind. They, you know, 
they, mm-hmm. that's you know i thought it was going to be some some super heavy heavy you know exorcism <laughs> but it was uh-huh. it, you know these guys it was the last thing they, they wanted to talk about which which ma- makes a lot of sense you know gabriel we're running out of time no I, problem. I appreciate you being on the show and talking with me. I really, uh, really enjoyed having you. In fact, I, we should we should do this again sometime. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, man. Absolutely. His book is Virgins in Reverse slash The Intrusion, out by Traveling Shoes Press. You can also check out his work at Shotgun Honey, as well as at Conoclash.com. Go check out his article, Possession, as well as checking out the movie if you can find it. It is bonkers crazy, and Gabriel will vouch for it. 